the year of smooth sailing, that's what it's going to be, 2022. Dave just whispered to me as it goes up, he goes, oh, he said, make it a good one. So there you go, that's encouraging. Dave, appreciate that. Uh, whether it's a good one or not, I have no idea. I've only got this one, so that'll, that'll, be, that'll be the one. And I'm pretty sure all the time the pastors say, I could go this way or this way. I'm pretty sure they've probably only got one, and they'll go, all right, we'll go this way. But it's the, it was the same on both sides, because no pastor writes two sermons a week for one service. So there you go. Hey, welcome to you. It is lovely to be gathered together. If you're visiting with us, if you're new to St. Luke's with the start of the new year, maybe new to the city, warm welcome to you. Uh, lovely to have you along. I, I would just before we get into the sermon, I was just, um, I just in worship, just, I was praying. Just, God, what do you want? What do you want to say to people? What, what, do you, what do people need to hear this first Sunday of the year? What, what should I say? What, do, what is there anything you want to say to people? And I felt like, which was encouraging to me, and I felt like God said, oh, your, your sermon would be good for most of them, probably. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's good. Thank you, Jesus. My sermon will be good. And he said, don't worry about the others. I'll, 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 I'll talk to them. So there you go. So you might be in the category this morning of the sermon will be good for you. Uh, and if it's not, that's all right. God will, God will talk to you. And then just as I prayed that in my mind, uh, Rosie Reference that, that that passage where speak your speak Lord your servant is listening. That idea that we 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 to open our own ears and eyes to hear and to see from God. And I just want to encourage you at the outset of this year. I will always do my best to make sure that the sermon has something for you in it. Uh, but I'm not naive enough to think that I have got the magic sermon that is just going to change your life this Sunday, and you need not miss it. Which is good because you're here. You're not going to miss it. So that's fantastic. Um, but rather, my, my, my confidence is not in the sermon each week. My confidence is in the ability of the Holy Spirit to speak to each of us in different ways each week. And that might be in a conversation you have with somebody before church or around tea and coffee afterwards. It might be during the worship. It might be something that is mentioned in the sermon that wasn't even in my notes that has nothing really to do with what I'm talking about. But that might be the thing that you needed. And I, I just want to encourage you to be somebody that commits each Sunday to to opening your heart and your ears to, to, to hear from God, to allow God to speak. And, and I'm pretty confident that, that God whispers, that the still small voice of the Spirit whispers each week. And you can bring a notebook along, not to take notes of my sermon, but just to write down the one thing each Sunday that maybe God's speaking to you about. And you, you discover over the Sundays, as they all kind of build together, you discover actually God is speaking and leading and guiding. So let that be in Jesus' name. But that said, I do have a sermon this morning, so uh, let's get into it. The indescribable mystery of your ontological experience. Uh, I try each year to just ease into 2022. Now, what I do is uh, uh, I've been camping up. We were meant to be camping up till yesterday, but um, one kid had a cold that's not COVID. We got the test back, so that's good. Another one had a lot of heat stroke. Uh, so we came back early, I came back early with two of the kids, then Lisa came back yesterday with another one who stabbed himself with tweezers and now has got an infection, so that's awesome. So camping right up till, next, uh, up till yesterday. So um, the, for me, it helped me to transition from Ohiwa campground into um, preaching, it's like, let's not do John 3.16, let's do something a little bit more kind of just meaty. So the, ontolo- the indescribable mystery of your ontological experience. Exactly, they're just really buzzwords. It's just the other way of saying that is it's really hard to describe yourself. That, that's another way of putting it. So this morning's sermon is it's really hard to describe yourself. So that, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, Ronald Roheiser, uh, in his book The Holy Longing, he writes, We do not wake up in this world calm and serene, having the luxury of choosing to act or not act. We wake up crying, on fire with desire, with madness, 
What we do with that madness is our spirituality. Uh, madness not in the sense of we have angry babies uh, or crazy babies, but just there's a madness to humanity where we wake up ready to do everything at once all at the same time and we're not sure exactly which way we want to go left or... I mean, the first few days of camping, I didn't know if I wanted to hang out with people, read books, go for a hike, go running, have a nap. I was like, I want to do all of those things all at the same time. And uh, there's, there's, there's a madness to this humanity. And as, as we grow, as we develop in life, we begin to direct those longings and cultivate that, those longings. Uh, madness in the sense that there's a wildness inherent to a human existence. We're all over the place in terms of our wants and our desires and our yearnings. Freddie Mercury of Queen... He's saying, uh, it ain't much I'm asking if you want the truth. Here's to the future for the dreams of youth. Not much he's asking. I want it all and I want it now. It's a you know, famous line from a famous song. In quieter moments though, you know, hopefully having come through the reorientation of Advent where we're trying to detangle ourselves from the consumerism of Christmas and, and to reconsider what it is that we hope for, that we long for, that we look for most in life. That's what we do during that season of Advent. We arrive at Christmas and we we acknowledge that it's the coming of the Saviour, it's the coming of Christ into our world that we should ultimately be looking for. Hopefully having come through those moments, hopefully having come through maybe a, a, a day or two at least of some quiet reflection or stillness or a slower pace over the Christmas holidays though, Uh, Hopefully there's a sense in which some of the other kind of deeper or more appropriate longings kind of come to the surface. And I think one of those is to know and to be known. To know ourselves, to know others, to know God. Uh, To be known to ourselves, to be known to others. To know God, to know God, to know others, to know ourselves. That that kind of mixture, to know and to be known. I think there is a deep desire within all of us. I mean, extroverts want to know everyone and be known by everyone. Us introverts are more happy to be known by a couple of people and know a couple of people. But nevertheless, there's a desire that somebody would get you and that you would get someone and that God would get you, that you'd get God, that there'd be some sort of kind of intimacy unfolding there. Uh, It's not straightforward, though. There's all kinds of roadblocks uh, one roadblock is the fear that we carry of moving beyond the idealized version of ourselves or others, uh, of moving beyond the idealized version of God that we have. Usually God is a utility. Um, that's our idealized version or maybe our idolatrous version of God. God is a utility. Uh, and towards the actual. Um, there, there's, I don't, know, I, don't know, I don't know if I want people to know the real me, the me that is exposed, the, the front that I'm able to put on. I'm really happy, I'm comfortable for people to know that. I don't really want to unveil some of the deeper stuff. At the same time, I just want to know the people in the way that they present themselves. I don't want to get caught up in the deeper stuff. Like, they can have that all to themselves. Kind of thing. There's, you know, there's some hesitancy to that. There's, some, there's a sense of trepidation to that, to really know one another, to be known by others. Uh, we've been wearing our masks for millennia. Masks are nothing... New. There's nothing new about wearing masks. We've been wearing masks for a long, long time. Uh, we say we want to take our masks off, but I'm not sure that we do necessarily want to take our masks off. Uh, we say we want others to take their masks off. I'm not really so sure we always want others to take their masks off either. And yet, there's, despite those risks, there's, there's something within us that wants to know and wants to be known. Another roadblock is the indescribable mystery of your ontological experience. 
which is the one we're looking at today, which is to say how hard it is to convey, to describe to others the mystery and wonder, the pain and heartache, the joy and delight, the anxiety and fears, the adventures and misadventures of being you. You know, we can all watch the same movie, but we all watch it from a different perspective and filter it through different stories. And then we can talk about the movie afterwards. And some people kind of seem to be on the same page, but others are scattered everywhere wondering, did you not even watch the same movie? Why were you not crying? You know, it's like, I didn't go through that in my childhood. It's, It's difficult to convey the sense of who we are to one another. I've lived with myself for 41 years on and off. And I feel like I'm only just starting to get to know me, uh, let alone to define words to describe myself. I feel like I'm only just kind of getting my head around me, let alone quite being able to articulate me. I can't do myself justice. (laughs) And I mean that in the most kind of genuine, humble way, in the same way that if you were to describe yourself to the world around you, you wouldn't be able to do yourself justice either. Often some other people are better at able to describe ourselves to the world. I've lived with Lisa for 20 years. I feel like I'm only just getting to know Lisa. I've got, I don't have words that, from my perspective, describe the wonder and delight of who Lisa is. Uh, she's the person that I know best on the planet. and I, I, I couldn't describe Lisa in a way that would really do justice to who she is. I'd fumble around with trying to get the right words. I've known God my whole life, again, and God's known me a little bit longer than that. I think he's known me for all time. Uh, Yet good luck coming up with words to capture God, to capture the sense of the divine, to to describe who or what God is. These these things are difficult to really put to words in a way that kind of says it like you'd like to say it or explains it like you'd like to explain it. Maybe uh, reunited with family and friends, colleagues after the Christmas break. Maybe people this morning, you've been asking, what did you get up to? What did you do? Where have you been? What's been kind of occupying you? Uh, And no doubt we we, um, tell a story or two or explain a feeling or two or share a photo or two of the fish that we did or didn't catch or whatever kind of thing. Try as you like, though. Nothing really captures the moment. Like... It's not. I, I, I ran around the mountain yesterday. It was stormy, and I'm watching people taking photos of the waves. And it's like the photos never come out as good as the real thing. You should just stand there and look at it, and then remember it, and then run off. Because you know, you take photos of sunsets on your iPhone, and you look at the photos like, oh, that's rubbish, delete kind of thing. But at the time, in the moment, that was a spectacular kind of sunset. Don't do justice to it. I had three ten-year-old boys who were desperate to go fishing every day of the holiday. Um, and we were desperate to not as dads because we were tired and it was sunny. But we took them out in the boat. I've got three 10-year-old boys and there's a lot of rod, rod waving. Ten-year-olds fish like this a lot. I was like, I don't know if that's a technique. I'm not, we, don't, we don't have live bait down there. It's like, you know, we don't have um, soft bait. Like, you're waving it around. And then there's a lot of sword fighting. Uh, there's a lot of rod swapping. Can I have your rod? Can you? Have, I need your rod. Uh, there's a lot of boat swapping. Like, I need to go on the other side of the boat. Like, you, why? No, there's, there's that side to the side. There's moving up the front. Can I sit up the front? Man, the amount of times that 10-year-olds ask if they can sit up the front. No, you can't sit up the front. Just stay where you are. It'll be fine. And uh, we had nothing for ages. And then we saw some birds, so we went to try and get some car and the birds went dropping, so that was nothing. And then we went to another place. 
And Lachlan had been telling me this place that he wanted to park the whole time that we hadn't parked. So we go, well, we'll park here for 10 minutes on the way home. We parked there, and then the Trevally started hitting kind of thing, and there's 10-year-olds screaming, and Trevally are coming. I mean, they're barely legal, but they're legal. But, um, you know, they're pulling up Trevally so fast that they're falling off the hook and then getting tangled in the line, like caught by the tail before they fall out of the boat kind of thing. It's, but, you know, there's ten year, ten year old, three 10-year-old boys that couldn't have been happier kind of thing. I can tell the story, but I can't really convey what it felt like to be there in the moment. There was something more to it than just the fun of catching. It just felt like the right time at the right place. I used to play a lot of golf, and then we had kids. And uh, there you go. Uh, going away for four hours and leaving Lisa with the kids was apparently not a good idea. Um, now, uh, now I've got a nine-year-old boy and a 13-year-old boy have got their own clubs. And uh, going away to take the boys golfing for four hours is apparently a really good idea. So, you know, come, come full circle now. And I, I've been, I've, I don't know how many rounds of golf I've had in the last couple of months. Heaps. Uh, over holiday, we, we, we golfed twice some days. So there you go, we were into it. Uh, that was fun, but I can't tell you that it's hard to describe the feeling of standing on the first tee, pretty convinced that this is going to be an under par round, um, and yet the reality is half the time it goes straight and the other half the time you need a new ball because it's over there kind of thing. And I can tell you what we did, but I can't really convey what it's like for me to be back playing golf and how much I enjoy that and all of these kinds of things. Lying in the pool at midnight, watching the stars overhead kind of thing. Um, you know, the mystery, the wonder, the grandeur of the universe, planets and satellites traversing, and, you know. I can tell you what happened, but it doesn't, I can't convey the feelings that go along with the golf, the feelings that go along with lying under the stars, the feelings of why with the boys in that moment fishing, there was something magical about it. Kind of, we can play around with it. We don't, I can't describe what it's like for me to be me and on that journey. It's tricky can't quite capture the moment. How God's wired me, put me together, my understanding of history, my experiences of life. What it was like for me to be a kid, what it's like for these guys to be a kid, how those things all kind of weave together, it's hard to convey. The great poets, the wordsmiths, the lyricists, they do a better job capturing these kinds of things, of capturing love, of capturing fear or doubt or the grandeur of creation, the wonder of God, the, the poets, the wordsmiths, the lyricists, they, they do a better job than I can do. They, they do a better job than most of us can do. Most of us aren't poets, and if we are, we're probably not very good ones, but you know, the great ones capture something of it. We struggle to convey a sense of ourselves to the world around us. Often I feel like I'm on the cusp of grasping or understanding or comprehending. Just on, the, just on the edge of grasping or understanding or comprehending, but just, just not quite. And then sometimes I feel like I'm on the cusp of being able to explain or be, being able to articulate or being able to paint that picture, but just not. I don't quite understand like one day I know I'll understand. I, don't, I can't quite explain it like I know I'll be able to explain it in time. It's that, the verse we, we see through a mirror darkly. There's, there's, there's that sense of that to life. A constant liminal, liminal space, almost but not quite, in regard to self, in regard to others, in regard to God. Almost but not quite. But that doesn't put me off. That, that draws me on. That, that invites me in. There's this whole adventure of the almost. I almost know Lisa, but not quite. Got to keep on going. I think I almost understand 
God, but uh, not quite. It, it, it pulls you along in the journey. Everything a little haphazard. Uh, Dennis, uh, Denise Levitoff has this, captures something of this in her poem, Overland to the Islands. Uh, it's about a dog. Let me read the poem, Overland to the Islands. Let's go, much as that dog goes, intently haphazard. The Mexican light on a day that smells like autumn in Connecticut makes iris ripples on his black gleaming fur. And that too is as one would desire, a radiance consorting with the dance. Under his feet rocks and mud, his imagination sniffing, engaged in its perceptions, dancing edgeways. There's nothing the dog disdains on his way. Nevertheless, he keeps moving, changing pace and approach, but not direction. Every step and arrival. Every step and arrival. Sometimes I feel like life is us following our nose, not really knowing where we're going or how we're going to get there. And every step feels like an arrival if we can be open to it. But it's kind of intently haphazard. Fits and starts kind of adventure, a spits and sputters kind of adventure, clarity but lost for words. And yet it feels more profound than that. It feels more providential than that. It feels like God is present to us somehow in all of the intently haphazard wanderings of our life. Ephesians 2 verse 19 to 22. You're no longer strangers, foreigners and strangers. Fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. No longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens and members of a household. Family coming together to know and to be known. It's not, it's, it's intently haphazard, but it's not, it's not madness. There's, there's, there's the providence of God weaving and bringing lives together. Being built together as a holy temple and dwelling place for God. Intently haphazard, yet providential. God leading and guiding as we are learning to know and to be known. To know ourselves, to know others, to know God in a holy, whole and wholesome kind of way. A risky yet authentic journey of adventure and intimacy and discovery. It feels very random and disordered and yet it's providential and it's like God's doing something and building something. I worship, again, I wish I was just pondering this year and considering this year in a way. One of the pictures I got was we've all been away from this place. Now, of course, God's present in all places and all spaces everywhere. God doesn't live at church. If you, that, We've talked about this before. God doesn't live at church, in case you're wondering. God is in all spaces and places. There's something about the attentiveness of our hearts when we gather as the church, though. But we've all been absent from this building, this location. But I felt like the Spirit of God was just brooding in this place. Of course, not to say the Spirit of God wasn't in all the spaces and places. But brooding in this place, content, happy. Oh, they'll come back. They'll, they'll gather again. 
just just brooding in this place. And then there's this delight as we gather back together and we trust that the voice of the Spirit will speak and guide and lead, that it's intently haphazard and yet it's providential. Lives being knit together, growing and developing. A risky adventure. It's rewarding and satisfying and comforting and enlarging to know others, to be known by others. It's unsettling. It can be humbling, even humiliating at times to know others, to be known by others. Because we're all unique image bearers. Beauty is full of wonder and delight. But we're all damaged goods as well. There you go. There's the word of the Lord for you in 2022. You are damaged goods. No, there you go. We're all beauties and wonders full of delight and mystery and, and amazingness. But we're all, we're all flawed as well. Flaws and faults and stretch marks under our clothes, but also in our character, in who we are as people. There's a German word. Uh, I'm not good at German, but I just like German words. Uh, I don't like listening to German conversations. They scare me because they sound very angry. But um, German words, good. they have words for all sorts of things. There's a word for the, the magic and wonder and expectation of Christmas that is only felt in Christmas and not other times of the year. They have, they have a word for that. So that's how good they are. Schenschut, uh, you can just whisper that to the person next to you, however you would like to pronounce that. It means longing or desire or yearning or craving. But there's more to it than that. It's a longing or a desire or a yearning or a craving for the ideal or the full state of something. That, that's, we know it now in the unfinished sense, in the, in the partial sense. But there's a longing and a desire to experience something in the, in the full sense of it kind of thing. A longing to, to, to have it in, in, in its fullness. A longing to know and be known. I think we, we know in part now. There's a longing to know in full. Others know us in part. There's a longing to be known and understood in, in full. But it's just, it's just partial at the moment. But there's, there's this desire to, I wish somebody could really get me. I wish I could really get that person. God, I wish I could understand God. I, I know in part, but there's this longing for what we know in part to be known in full kind of thing that draws us on and leads us on and pulls us on in the journey of life. The kind of fullness of life that we are saved into. Fully knowing, fully knowing. Uh, Eugene Peterson writes in his book, Five Smooth Stones, for pastoral work. He writes, the personal relationships for which we were created and which we are confused because of our sins are recreated. They're redeemed by salvation. Salvation is the act of God in which we are rescued from the consequences of sin, the fragmentation, and put into a position to live in free, open, loving relationships with God, ourselves, and neighbors. Salvation is the invitation to know and be known by God, with God, to know God, to know ourselves, to know others. C.S. Lewis was reading a book called Eternal Life by Baron Friedrich von Hugel, and he penciled some notes inside the dust jacket, which somebody got a hold of. And these are, the, these are just the notes that C.S. Lewis penciled down. It's not an abstraction called humanity that is to be saved. It is you, your soul. Uh, I'd understand your soul is your story and your relationship with your story, the totality of your life. And in some sense, yet to be understood, your body that was made for the high and holy place. All that you are, every fold and crease of your individuality was devised from all eternity to fit God as a glove fits a hand. Every fold and crease of your individuality was devised from all eternity. 
to fit God. All that intimate particularity which you can hardly grasp yourself, much less communicate to your fellow creatures, it is no mystery to him. All of the intimate peculiar, uh, particularity that you can hardly grasp yourself in regard to yourself, much less communicate to your fellow creatures, it is no mystery to him. Salvation is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ alive within us, energizing us towards new and whole and wholesome relationships with God, with others, with ourselves. Sometimes I think we wonder if I can, uh, if I can truly know and accept myself, be honest with myself, if I can truly know and accept myself, maybe then... I can be truly known and accepted by others. And then maybe if I can be truly known and accepted by others, I can be truly known and accepted by God. I think we we so often build it up that way. I, I think the reality is entirely the other way around. God fully knows us and yet fully accepts us. And in light of that, I might not be ready yet, but maybe there's some people in God's community that might be able to fully know me and accept me as I am. And if they're willing to know me and accept me as I am, well, maybe I can know myself and accept myself as I am. And maybe starting from that perspective of God knows and sees and loves and understands the particularity of being you, maybe the acceptance of God could lead me into the acceptance of others and the acceptance of myself. And that could be a place from which to grow, to be know and to be known. The indescribable mystery of your ontological experience Or in other words, just the fullness of your life. Known by God and accepted by God. Flaws and all. Which brings me to where I want to land today. Psalm 139. Up on the screen. Famous psalm. So often read quickly and then kind of dismissed because it's famous. You know, we know that one. John 3.16, well, we know that one. You know, the, the, the familiar ones, are, we, we become overly familiar with them. There's, there's something incredible, incredible about this psalm. 139. Oh Lord, you've examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. Place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too great for me to understand. How do we we summarize that paragraph? You're fully known by God. God knows you better than you know yourself. Had that Jahari window up on the screen. The bits you know, the bits others know, the bits you know that others don't know, the bits others know that you don't know. That's always fun. And then the bits you don't know and no one else knows, but but God already sees and knows and understands. You're fully known by God. When I travel, there's a literal sense in the the psalm. The psalmist is is writing in the sense of a distance between God and in the sense of traveling. But then there's also when we travel, when we're distant from God in our hearts and our attitudes and our disposition. Even when I'm far from you, God, even when I'm not walking with you, even when I've walked away, you know me. You see my heart. I'm, I'm loved by you. Distant from the place in life that you're supposed to be. God knows, God sees, God loves you. You, you. you can be right off track and you are never far from God. Present to God in all things. 
carries on. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. The darkness of the night, literally. The darkness of our lives at times where we wander off track, even in the darkness, the dark spaces, the dark moments. You're known, you're loved, he strengthens, he's present, support. God fully knows and yet does not abandon. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Oh, there it is, the mystery of your ontological something or other. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watch me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Again, literally, when I wake up in the morning, you're present to me. More metaphorically, when I awaken to realize that I've been walking in darkness, that I have traveled to a distance place. When I awaken in that moment to realize my frailty and my flaws and my tendencies to wander off track. You're with me. You're present to me even in that moment. Never abandoned, uniquely crafted. God gets you. God knows you in your totality. All the more reason that we can love and trust God and then in time learn to entrust ourselves to others that are of the community of God. All that intimate particularity which you can hardly grasp yourself, much less communicate to your fellow creatures, is no mystery to him. And if it's no mystery to him, then I keep walking with God and I learn to know myself. I learn to know others. I grow and I develop in life. And then this is my favorite bit. This is awesome. Uh, the psalmist has done a really good job of, of just revealing the wonder and the goodness and the love, the acceptance, the, the presence of God. And then he kind of just wants to disclose to God that the headspace that he's in. He's got some things that he'd like to get off his chest and bring before God. And uh, he's feeling confident to do that. God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. O oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those that hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred. For your enemies are my enemies. Hey. Later on, we'll learn to love your enemies. So the psalmist hasn't yet. The psalmist, the, the psalms, what, what the psalms do is they, they, they take us into the real places. Real prayers that really speak to God how we're feeling in the moment that we're in and what we're kind of navigating. And the psalmist, he goes for it here. Turns out we're going to have to love our enemies, but that'll come later. And he says, well, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. 
And I think the revelation would have been, ah, you know, maybe need to hate my enemies. It's going to be all right. We'll, we'll figure that out. But there's this willingness just to fully disclose to God where the psalmist finds himself at. And he finds himself at a place where I'm going to really get all the hatred going that I can for these people because that'll be awesome. But anyway, search me and know me and see if there be any wicked thing for me. Oh, God will, God will work on that. God fully knows and is entirely faithful. We don't need to wear masks. It's, there's a stupidity in wearing masks before God. The invitation before God is to take off the masks, to fully open oneself to God. Not letting God in on any secrets. You're just coming around the table together in a way that actually healing and life can come. Risky disclosure, total truth-telling. We discover it's this way that leads to everlasting life, paths of flourishing life. This year, as image bearers, we have the ability by God's grace to replicate the kind of faithfulness that God extends to us to others. It's part of what it is to be brothers and sisters in Christ. It's part of what it is to be an image bearer. We see and we look that, that God fully knows and yet loves and accepts. Well, what does it look like for us to fully know and love and accept the people around us? To offer grace and mercy, forgiveness. May we be that this year. Not like God, but along the same lines. Knowing that God fully knows me and does not reject me, well, I can know somebody and not reject And I'm going to trust that godly people might be that back to me. That as I share my life with godly people, that they would replicate back to me love and grace. and mer- Not letting each other off the hook, but this love and this grace and this mercy that invites us into paths of everlasting life. We all wear our masks. I had to put it on the screen because I've oh, been up there for a while. I'm old school. We all wear our masks, Stanley Hipkiss. So that's um, from the mask. If you don't know that. You obviously weren't born in somewhere between 80 and 84, but uh, for those of us that were, metaphorically speaking, um, just had to be in there somewhere. We all wear our masks. Masks are actually a healthy social convention. I'm not talking about the pandemic, though they are a healthy social convention. The masks that we wear in our lives are a healthy social convention. I'm really going to be truthful with everyone in my world this year. I wouldn't be if I was you. That, that's going to really wear some people down. Um, not everyone's as interested in your truthfulness as you are. Um, so the masks are, you know, you walk into school. How are you going? Well, let me tell you about my wife. It's like, no, 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 don't, no, don't, don't do, don't do that. So the masks are a healthy social convention. We would be exhausted if everybody literally just dished everything on us and then we dished everything, that would create a cesspool of unhelpfulness. But knowing when to lower our masks, when to disclose, when to be intimate, when to share with those that are close to us, those that we've built relationship, those that we're building relationship, it's a healthy thing to do. It's a part of what it means to be saved, to be being saved, to be working out my salvation, is to... to, to Learn to fully know others, to be fully known by others. A little bit of wisdom is required, of course, though. 
So salvation is an invitation to vulnerability and risk and honesty, listening and loving, to grace and kindness and mercy, to love, forgiveness, redemption, the putting back together of our lives and our relationships, slowly and carefully, with God, with others. Read the Psalms this year. Feel the psalmist's honesty. Psalmist is not, the psalmist is not reluctant to shake his fist at the heavens and tell God where to go. And then, but Lord, you search me if, if I'm not on track. Trust God to read the Psalms. Write honest prayers. Maybe write an honest prayer each week this year. Really letting God know how you feel about a few things. You, know, you, you won't shock God. He'll be all right with it. Discover what it is to be fully known and discover there's grace and mercy in all things. Share with a friend. Be more honest with oneself. Grow in all things. All right, let's stand to our feet. We're going to finish by gathering at the Lord's table this morning.